Hello and welcome to the Village Church Podcast. My name is John and we are glad to have you join us. We work to deliver our most recent preaching content to you as soon as possible, so let's get into God's Word together. Exodus chapter 12, if you have a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, there are some available on the table back there. Please take one, use it, give it to someone if they need it. Exodus chapter 12. As God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his Hebrew people, I wrote this down, though I don't really need to, but I wrote it down to make sure I would say it well. We are seeing patterns as God redeems, delivers, redeems, and dwells with the Hebrew people. We are seeing patterns of how God delivers, redeems, and dwells with his people throughout all time and for eternity. We are seeing patterns of how God redeems, delivers, and dwells with us. As we observe the events we talked last week that are taking place around that midnight hour some 3,500 years ago, happening in that 10th plague of God on Egypt, as we observe these events, all of those patterns that we see in 11, certainly in 12, into 13, as God delivers a people and redeems them and dwells with them, we are seeing patterns of how he delivers, redeems, and dwells with us. And all of those patterns, every pattern, type, shadow, everything you see that we will see as we examine the scripture, it crystallizes in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, or I'm sorry, in Luke chapter 24, twice it's recorded that all of Moses, that all of the prophets, that all of the Psalms were talking about him. And so every pattern, every type, every shadow, every illusion, everything we see in Exodus chapter 12 and the deliverance of Israel from Egypt and their redemption by God and their exodus out, it is a pattern that crystallizes in the Lord Jesus Christ and it is a pattern of which we are in. It's going to be a little long this morning, uh, at least in the reading of the word. Would you read with me Exodus chapter 12? The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each, eat, to it, to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses on which they eat. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it, with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass 
through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Just jump down to verse 21. Then Moses called the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord God will, that the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshiped. Then the people of Israel went and did so as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. Just jump down to verse 43. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, This is the statute of the Passover. No foreigner shall eat of it. But every slave that is bought for money may eat of it after you have circumcised him. No foreigner or hired worker may eat of it. It shall be eaten in one house. You shall not take any of the flesh outside the house. You shall not break any of its bones. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised. Then he may come near and keep it. He shall be as a native of the land, but no uncircumcised pers person shall eat of it. There shall be one law for the native and for the stranger who sojourns among you. All the people of Israel did just as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, and on that very day the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their hosts. Father, help us this morning as we examine your word. I pray, God, that as we do, that sinners would be drawn. I pray, Father, to salvation, to repentance. God, that we, your people, would be more holy through our understanding of your word by the power of your spirit this day, God, that holiness would be promoted among your people. And I pray, Father, that Christ the Savior would be exalted. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I titled the sermon today, When I See the Blood. The Lord says, When I See the Blood. I told you last week that we were going to be working through this text in a little bit more unconventional way, and that's why we jumped over, you'll notice, verse 14 through 20. We're going to talk about that next week. So in your minds, for the Bible scholars in the room that are like, oh, I'm nervous about what you're doing here, Pastor, I want you to understand this. We're focusing on the blood of the Passover lamb today, and next week we're going to look at the unleavened bread of the Passover meal. 
Because those are so significant, I'm not even sure I can do this in under an hour. To do both of those would be an absolute disservice to all of you. So this week, we're going to focus on the blood. And next week, we're going to focus even more specifically than on the unleavened bread. We're going to focus on what makes it unleavened, okay? So this week, Exodus chapter 12, 1 through 13, 21 through 28, and 42 or 43 through 49. When I see the blood... Pastor, do you have a theme or something that you want us to pay attention to as you're talking this morning? I do, and that is this thought. The beautiful connection between the blood of the lamb in Egypt and the blood of the lamb in our lives. I want us as a church to see the blood of the lamb in Egypt and the blood of the lamb in our lives. We have examined the 10th plague on Egypt after which Pharaoh actually lets Israel go. He releases them. Go, get out. We looked at this last week. However, alongside of that 10th plague, alongside of the warning to Pharaoh, alongside of the destroyer visiting Egypt and taking life in every house in the land, alongside of that came instructions for God's people that they may not suffer the same plague as the Egyptians. And that should shock us. We should think about that and be shocked that God's going to kill every firstborn of man and beast in Egypt, and Israel was just given instructions to avoid that problem. That would have been shocking for them because, well, they've been spared. Through the plagues, they've been spared, and there have been things that have happened to Egypt that's not happened to them. They didn't have the sores, they didn't have the flies, they didn't have the gnats, they didn't have the death of the livestock, they didn't have the darkness, they didn't have the locusts. They were protected from all of that. And now Moses says, listen, God is going to come at midnight and judge Egypt and strike every one of the firstborn of their land of man and of beast. And in our land, unless we do what he tells us right here. I have instructions for us to avoid having the same punishment as the Egyptians. Death of the firstborn. Pastor, why would Israel need to be protected from God's judgment on Egypt and the death of the firstborn? Why would they need that protection? We need to understand that a right understanding of the events surrounding Israel's deliverance from Egypt must be grounded in the knowledge that though protected from other plagues, they face the same plague because they have rejected God's prophet, you'll remember. There are some things that have to be considered and must be grounded in. Do you remember when Moses came? And do you remember when he spoke to Pharaoh and Pharaoh then increased the burden on the Israelites, remember? Oh, no, 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 I'm not going to let you go. In fact, I'm going to make it worse. In fact, you can go ahead and make bricks without straw. We're going to make it 10 times harder, more work on the Israelites. I'm not letting them go. Do you remember what the people of Israel said to Moses when that happened? The Lord judge you. You have made us to stink to them. You have put a sword in their hand to kill us. And it doesn't ever go well for the people of God when they reject the prophet of God. They have rejected God's prophet Moses in his first coming to them. The Lord judge you. They had become, at least in part, idol worshipers. Pastor, are you sure about that? Are they idol worshipers? Are you sure? Yeah, careful examination of biblical text tells us they had a problem with idols in Egypt. 
not at the golden calf in the wilderness, in Egypt. I give you these exhibits, first thinking that for hundreds of years they dwelt in a land of idol-worshiping people, feeling what? Utterly forsaken by their God. How long, O Lord, until you come and deliver us? And as they wait for their God over hundreds of years and as generations deteriorate and as they start looking around at the prosperity of Egypt and they're worshiping these idols, well, how often do we look around at the prosperity of the world and start worshiping what they're doing too? We start forsaking God and we start worshiping the things the world worships. Where do you think the golden calf in Exodus 32 even came from? It was just... Made up? Oh, I, Aaron says, and we're going to look right at it. We're going to stare it right in the face and think about our own golden calves. Oh, people brought me all their stuff. I threw it in the fire and pff, out came this calf. Why? Because they'd been watching Egyptians worship bulls and calves for hundreds of years. Out comes this bull and this calf. Exodus 19.1. You don't have to turn there, but take note of it. We're going to be there and, well, who knows? We'll be there some point in time. Exodus 19.1 says it was three new moons from the time they left Egypt to the time they got to Mount Sinai. You know what that means? Three new moons. You know what that means? It means three months, right? Signs, lights in the sky to mark days and weeks and times and months and years. Three new moons, three months from the time they left Egypt to the time they got to Sinai, Moses goes up on the mountain. The people say, he's been gone too long. We need a God, a God we can see. Aaron, make us a God we can see. And here's again, three months. It took them three months post-Exodus. Now we have something to have as a frame of reference. It took them three months after everything we've been watching happen to Egypt. Let's just for a second think that we're an Israelite, just for a quick second, and I'm about to tell you that you are. <laughs> Three months ago, every house in the land of Egypt had a dead body in it. We want a God we can see. Within the last three months, the sea parted and the whole host of the nation walked through as on dry ground. And then God crashed the waters down on Pharaoh's army. We'll be there in a few weeks. Causing them to get muddied and mired in the mud of the Red Sea. Their chariots got clogged and whoo, And God brings his full weight down on Pharaoh's army. And says to Israel, the enemy you see today, you will never see again. Waters done on we go. We want a God we can see. Joshua 24, verse 15. Men in the room, just a curious, men in the room, who thinks you can pull Joshua 24, verse 15? Just show me your hand. I'm not going to call on you. I know you get, everybody gets jumpy. Joshua 24, 15. Okay, couple. Show of hands of anybody in the room. Joshua 24, 15. Anybody brave enough to say, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure I know what it means. Okay, I'll help you. It's okay. Joshua says to the people of Israel, Choose this day who you will serve. As for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. You know what he says before that in verse 14? Most of us, I didn't, I was like, oh wow, this is something. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, Joshua to the people of Israel, put away the gods 
that your fathers served in Egypt. The Israelites had a problem with idols. The Israelites need something as well on this Passover night. And what is it? Well, let's not forget the most important truth of all, that all mankind is born sinful, separated from God, deserving God's judgment, and needing what? Israel doesn't need deliverance from Egypt on this night. What do they need? They need atonement from God's judgment on their own sin. Whoa, pastor, that's the people of God, and they're sinful, and they're in need of atonement. What God's people needed most in Egypt on that night was not deliverance from Egypt, it was deliverance from their own God, just like you and I. And God in his mercy, as God always has, gives a way for atonement to be made. First, verses 1 and 2. This is the beginning of the Hebrew calendar. Look what it says. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. What are you, pastor, are you saying they didn't, have a, they didn't have a calendar before this? No, I'm telling you. He's giving it to them right here. Look what he says. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Brand new calendar for my people. Write that down. When God delivers his people, when God redeems his people, God gives his people a what? A brand new beginning. Everything is starting over. This has been likened unto, and I'm about to blow some people's minds, but not everyone's, and I'd love to talk to you later on. This has been likened to, they are getting a new Eden, a new Genesis, a new beginning. God is starting something new for his people at this exact moment. Shall be the beginning of months, it says in 1314, this month is identified as the month of Abib. For the history nerds in the room, like myself, after the Babylonian captivity, which ended around 540 BC, which incidentally is about a thousand years after the writing of Exodus, this month would be called the month of Nisan. Pastor, why is that important? Because Nehemiah and Esther both talk about it. That's why it's important. Like this, is, this is a big deal month for the people of Israel, but I'm not going to go any farther than that because the reality is that the Jewish calendar is so complex, none of us would be able to fully grasp it. They have multiple news throughout their yearly. We have one. Happy New Year. That's it. Happy New Year. See you next year. The people of Israel, the Jewish people, they have multiple news throughout their year, some coinciding with seasons, like different feasts, different festivals that coincide with different new things. The other reason that it's complex is because the Jewish calendar is not a direct overlay onto our Gregorian calendar. Like, Pastor, it's just my Apple calendar on my iPhone. Praise the Lord for your technology. That's based on the Gregorian calendar, and the Jewish calendar does not overlay that calendar at all. There are gaps because we have months that they don't have, and they have months that we don't have, and it's a wreck. So enough of that. This is the beginning of their calendar. We must remember back to chapter 1. Remember that God is making a nation in Egypt. 
The Bible says that in Exodus chapter 1, verse 5, Jacob and his family, 70 persons in all, people, 70 persons, went into Egypt. It says there in verse 7 that God greatly increased them and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong in the land and the land was filled with them. It says that Pharaoh began to oppress them and the more they were oppressed, the more that they grew on the land, they multiplied over and over. As we talked about in that first chapter of Exodus, God is making a nation through what his people are suffering. He is making a nation. And in just a few short pages, we're going to see 600,000 men, not counting women and children, come out of what was 70 persons 430 years ago. God is making a nation. And as he makes a nation, he now says, this is the start of your calendar. This is the first month of the first year. And this is the first day of that month tells them first day, first month, now hear this. A plague is coming and there's something for you to do. Go. He gives all these instructions. Moses instructs the nation of Israel what they are to do in honor of this month, this day, this new beginning, what they are to do, what they are to observe. Why? Not just to commemorate the time of year, but to commemorate what God is doing among them. God is delivering them, and they need atonement, and they have no way to be atoned, and so now God provides instruction for their atonement. Verse 3, every house shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. This is the beginning of instruction for this coming plague. In verse 24, Moses says that this instruction is a, a right. Uh, I want to define that for you as a prescribed ceremony, a rite of passage. A, we would say that graduation is a rite of passage for a, a teenager from school life into adult life, a rite. This is a rite. It is to be a statute that would be a law or an ordinance Moses is giving the people a prescribed ceremony that is part of an ordinance for the people on that day. And it says in verse 24, and your sons forever. Pay very careful attention. Note takers may want to write this down. I'll move slowly and say it twice. This ordinance given by God to his people was to visually aid his people in remembering the work of God through the blood of the Lamb by which the people of God are delivered from bondage. I know I said it fast. I'll say it again. And if you want the quote, let me know. We can have it later. It helped me think about this meal that we share together in these words. This ordinance given by God to his people was to visually aid the people of God in remembering the work of God through the blood of the Lamb by which the people of God are delivered from bondage. That's what this is for us. So now as we work through Exodus 12, we can turn all of our attention to the crystal clear imagery of the gospel of Jesus Christ on this table in this room while we consider the Israelites at this time in their homes. Verse 3, take a lamb, each household. The, the short term here is that this 
direction obviously came before the 10th day of the month. Because Moses says, take that lamb on the 10th day and keep it till the 14th day. So we can't pin an exact time, but when this instruction is happening, it's prior to the day of this actual feast happening. Because why? Because they need time. Take a lamb. You've got to go select a lamb. It says in verse 4, strangely, according to the number of persons, right? So let's think about the fact that my wife and I, we can't eat a lamb. My wife and I and our kids, maybe we could. But my wife and I, we can't. But perhaps you and your spouse or, or you and your kids, if we gather our homes together, we can, we can eat a lamb. Do you understand the importance here in houses sharing a lamb is that the whole lamb was used and none of it was going to go to waste. Every person to who the lamb was offered could gather around the table and feast on the lamb. And I could say, come to my home. We have a lamb. We can't eat the whole thing, but we can take two more, three more. I'm sorry, we can take no more. Find the next home. They can take some people. The whole lamb was to be used for all the people it was given to. The lamb, verse 5, either sheep or goat. Pastor, can you help us understand that? No, I can't really. I'm sorry. Either sheep or goat. Scholars say that the differences between the two would have been so minute they would have been very hard unless to the, un, to the trained eye to actually differentiate. We're talking about a different type of animal than sheep and goats that live on some of the farms represented in this room. It can be a sheep or a goat. It's okay. Whichever one it is, it's fine, God says to them, a sheep or a goat. However, it must be a male. It must be one year old and it must be without defect. No blemish. It must be, if it were, a pure and a spotless lamb. Observe, these instructions became, came before the actual day of deliverance. We're zooming in, we're zooming out. But because there were no mass text alerts for the people of Israel, they are going to need time to procure a one-year-old male lamb or goat without spot or blemish. You're not just going to the meat market and grabbing any old goat you see. You're making sure this one fits the description God gave Moses to give to us. I made this thought as I was thinking about that observation right there. I made this thought that preparation is key in the worship of God. I won't ask for a show of hands on how many of you prepared to come here this morning. I can see that you all put on nice clothes and you look nice. Praise the Lord. We put our best foot forward. But what's the heart under those clothes in the preparation to come here this morning? How much thought did you put into coming together with the people of God to worship God, to pray, to read scripture, to be renewed, to be refreshed, to be convicted, to learn, to grow, to fellowship? Are we just checking a box right now? Or are we understanding that everything we've come here to do today is in worship of God and we should be prepared for that? Preparation is key in worshiping God. They will not be clamoring at the last minute. Let's contrast that to the world. You know what today is? It's November the 5th. You know what that means? It's the most wonderful time of the year. And in mere days... 
All of the Black Friday emails that I have been receiving in mass ever since three weeks ago will reach more of a fever pitch as what? The world starts to what? Clamor for what? The perfect thing at the last minute. No one's prepared. Okay, well, well, well. Some of you probably are. No one's prepared. And you're going to go to the store? Listen, I hope you got a Thanksgiving turkey. Because everybody's going to clamor and go buy one at the last minute. Not the people of God. You go on the 10th day and you find that lamb that meets this description and you keep it. You know what that means? You keep it. You know what they would do? It came into the house with them. I'm home. It's that sound. Got the lamb. He's just in the... Anybody, anybody with lambs? Anybody? See your hands. You know lambs? Been around lambs? I know some of you. Right, yeah. I know the ones that aren't raising their hands. They've got plenty of lambs around them. Do those things will follow you around like a dog or they will run away and want nothing to do with you. They're one of the craziest animals I've ever experienced. And I've got a crazy one. She's crazy. People that come to our house on prayer on Wednesday night say, no, she's crazy. They bring it right into the home and do what? And keep it for four days. Feed that lamb. Give that lamb something to drink. Take that lamb out, bring it back in, feed it, care for it, and watch it, and tend it. And all of a sudden, what happens? How quick does it happen? Oh, mom, dad, look at that puppy. I will name it dot, dot, dot. Right? Right? Listen, the farmers in the room know you don't name it. Our kids do. Oh, man, they named your pigs. They sure did. Bacon, eggs, Christmas dinner, New Year's ham, absolutely. Gave them all kinds of names helps when that day comes. They got to care for it and keep it. And do you know why? This becomes so much more important. On the 14th day of the month at twilight, the father of the home, son, kids, I need that lamb, please. Oh, dad, dad, no. Yeah, I need that lamb. Why? At twilight, that father would take that lamb in his arms and tilt its head back and do the work necessary to deliver the blood from the body of that lamb, from the life of that lamb, for the life of the firstborn in his home. How are you feeling about the stewardship of your homes, dads? So many punches to the gut for me this week. I wonder how prepared we are. Keep that lamb until the 14th day at twilight, and after keeping it for four days, on the 14th day at twilight, kill the lamb. Note, the unwritten expectation that is found in verse 6, that every person of Israel that heard these instructions would do them. When it says, verse 6, the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel. It's, a, it's restated even down in verse 47. Verse 47, all the congregation of Israel. The note here, the observation to make is the expectation that God's people will do what God says. It's not good enough to just have the lamb in your house. It's not good enough, as we're going to see, to just Look at the lamb. It's not good enough to simply kill the lamb. Look what they're to do. 
kill it at twilight. Everyone would do it. God's people do what God says. Look what they do. First of all, there's the blood. Get the blood out of its body, right? We know you, just, you drain the blood out. You do what you got to do, man. They got to shear this thing because you're not roasting wool over a fire. Disgusting. You got to get the skin off that thing. You got to get the blood out of that thing. You got to put it over the fire. You got to roast it. But first, you've got to take that blood before anything. I've got to take that blood later. It says the basin and the hyssop, very intentional word. So they gave him a sponge on some hyssop and gave him sour wine to drink. You've got to take that basin and that blood and you've got to go out and on both sides of your door and across the top of it, you've got to put that on there because I don't want Levi dead. I'm working here to preserve my family as God has directed. I could get that blood on the door. Okay, the blood's on the door. Now what? Now what? Now you roast it by fire. You shall eat the flesh that night. It's not good enough to just have the lamb in the house. It's not good enough to simply look on the killing of the lamb. It's not good enough to simply see the blood of the lamb applied to the door. You have to feast on the meat and the flesh of the lamb to feed on it. And not just you. And not just a small, I'll just have a little bite. No, you'll eat as much as you can eat. How much can you eat? Oh gosh, probably the hind quarter. Done. You feast, everyone in your home, you fill your bellies with the flesh of the lamb. This meal was not just for anyone. Who can come? Can I have anyone? No, you can't just have anyone. Sorry. You can't just have anyone. Anyone can come, but not just anyone those who are under the covenant of God. Verse 43 through 50, we see the rules that God gives regarding Passover, and that's why we're looking at this in chunks. 43 through 50 is dealing specifically with this rite of Passover. It's dealing with the, the lamb, the blood, the door, the house. It's dealing with the unleavened bread. Today, we're just focusing on the blood of the lamb. In verse 43 through 50, we see that God gives rules regarding who can be delivered by the blood of the Lamb. God gives them. Not you, not me, and not any other man. The Lord God. What are those rules? Look what he says. One, one rule for all people. God gave one means of redemption for the natural-born Israelite, for their slaves or hired workers would be a better use of the word there, and to any foreigner and to all who belonged to them. One rule. If you are coming to this meal, you will be bearing the covenant sign of the people of God. At that time, for them, your males will be circumcised, or you will not have this meal. Verse 48, no circumcised person, no uncircumcised person shall eat of it. But more, verse 46, the beginning of the verse, it says, only those within one house. I'm not like 
going over to Jake's and eating some lamb and then running over to Mark's and eating some lamb and heading over to Jen's and eating some more lamb. I'm gathering with the people who gather in my house and those people in that house are going to share of one lamb only. Why? You shall not take any of the flesh. Verse 46, the second part of the verse, 46b, shall not take any of the flesh outside of the house. It's only good for the people in the house. You shall not break any of its bones. Wow. One meal, one house, one rule for all people who observe of it. Only eaten in one house, no bones broken. This meal was to be eaten and to anything left over. Verse 10, you shall not let anything remain until the morning. Anything that does remain, you shall burn. God wants no one to come in after the people he has given this to to take what they do not deserve. This meal, children of Israel, is for you and you alone. It is for no one, no house of Egypt is saved. He's giving this to Israel. Only those in the house are saved by the sacrificial lamb. It was only good for those who obeyed the word of God. Obey God. Do you understand now the importance? I've kind of been stressing on that a little bit for the last couple months. The obedience of God. God commands all people everywhere to obey and believe in the name of his son. You obey God when he gives instruction and direction and the sacrifice of the lamb was only good for those who obeyed the word of God. They're to eat the lamb that night with unleavened bread. I mentioned this earlier. Unleavened. That means yeastless. This bread right here, for all you purists, there's yeast in it. Is there yeast in that? Do we use yeast in this recipe? There's yeast in this bread, okay? We made it. We brought it. Great. Not on that night, but we'll talk about that next week and why. They were to eat it with unleavened bread, and they were to eat it with bitter herbs. I don't think that the identification of the bitter herbs is that difficult, why would they eat this lamb? Like, man, lamb is good. Why would they ruin it with herbs that are not? Well, I mean, we have herbs that are good that are bitter. But do you understand what they're being told is, no, no, no. No salt, no garlic. Use the bitter herbs. Just think about that in your, what's, what are the bitter ones? Think of them, just think about it. Why? Because you are tasting flesh that is so good, mixed with herbs that are so bitter. And all wrapped up in that is the beauty of what God is doing and the bondage that lies behind you. I am now forced to remember why must we eat the bitter herbs to remind us of our time in this bitter place. They are to eat the meat with bitter herbs and unleavened bread, yeast in the unleavened bread, always, throughout all of Scripture, always illustrating sin and the bitter herbs, reminding them of all their time in Egypt. Bitter bondage. Verse 9, they are to eat it raw. They are to not eat it raw. They are to not eat it boiled. They were not to butcher it. 
Who does this? No one does this. Get the skin off of it, get the blood out of it, and get it on the fire whole. Don't take any of the, look at, he says it, with its head, with its inner parts, with its legs, the whole thing. Get it on the fire and roast it, the whole thing. And everyone in the house feasts on the whole thing. They were to eat it whole. They were to feed, I want to be very clear, on the entire flesh of the lamb that God provided. Not the parts they liked, not the parts they wanted, not the parts that were popular, not the parts that were cool. Every part of the lamb was given for them and they were to eat and feast on every part of the lamb. They were to eat it in haste, verse 11. Verse 11 says that just means quickly, eat it quickly. This is not, so tell me about your day, pass the carrots. What's, uh, how is, no, 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 eat it quickly. How? The vivid illustration with your belt on, with your sandals on, with your staff in your hand, like I'm holding on to that thing, just I'm going to eat this stuff. Why? Eat it in haste. Why? Because the Lord's coming and he's coming quickly and we must be ready because when he comes, we are going. Do you understand? Man, are the illustrations popping out here? Are you understanding as we see what's happening with Israel and Egypt, how this crystallizes for us in the gospel, and we are not a people here forever? We are going somewhere else. Eat quickly. Don't wait. Don't leave any. It's for you. Eat it all. They were to eat it in haste, belt fastened, sandals on, staff in hand, ready at any moment, ready in any instant. Verse 12 shows us, as the instructions pass and God wraps up the instructions here through Moses to Israel, verse 12 shows us that as we've seen, this plague is not just aimed at Pharaoh. It's not just aimed at the Egyptians in the land. It's aimed at Pharaoh and Egypt and all of their gods. We've already examined this in part just a little bit as we've journeyed along and seen how what God has done has confronted the various gods of Israel. Now he here is so clear I will strike the firstborn, middle of verse 12. I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. This plague, God, in delivering this plague on Egypt, he is judging and he is condemning forever the gods of Egypt. They're deaf, they're dumb, they're blind. I'm judging, I am the Lord. Psalm 115 says that those who serve such gods, deaf, dumb, blind, deaf meaning they can't hear, dumb meaning they can't speak, blind meaning obviously they can't see. The psalmist goes on and says they can't walk, they can't feel, they can't smell. The psalmist says, Psalm 115, those that serve such gods become like them. Do you understand the illustration here? Egypt has become just like their gods. And God is saying to his people, I am the Lord. When your eyes are on me, you become like me. I make you like me. When your eyes are out there, your eyes are on things that you will become like. When your eyes are concerned about the next paycheck, about the next school board meeting, about the next election, about the next you name it, you are becoming those things. God says you're not being holy as I'm holy. You're not looking at me. None of this life matters. Look at me. 
God says. Why? Man, he's got some kind of ego like he needs us to look at him. He's the creator of all things. Look at him because he is holy. Look at him because of what he has done for you. Look at him because he is not a God who is deaf, who is dumb, who is blind, who can't see, who can't walk, who can't feel, who can't smell. He is alive. This is a warning to Israel. God effectively saying, forget them. I've judged them. They account for nothing. The Lord will strike. Notice it, verse 12. I will strike all the firstborn, both of man and of beast. And he says in his instructions here, my people, if you don't do what I'm telling you to do, I will strike your home as well. Do what I've said, children. Why? The Lord will strike all the firstborn of Egypt, man and beast, but the blood, verse 13, the blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. You know what that means? A sign for you, not for me, and not for you. You know what that is? A sign for God about you. Why? When I see the blood. You know who you're worried about seeing the blood of Jesus in your life? God. You are worried about God seeing the blood of Jesus in your life. Others are going to see it, and we want others to see it, but we are first and foremost concerned that God sees the blood of Christ. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. And we find that great word that is so difficult to say, but is so beautiful, and we must know propitiation. And there it is. When I see the blood of that lamb that I have provided for you, I will pass over, and no plague will befall you. I will not allow the destroyer to enter your home. The people of Israel do what God has commanded, and so they did it. And so they did, verse 28 says, as Moses and Aaron had commanded through the Lord, and so they did. The application of today's message means salvation. For every person in the room to consider, as we look at what is happening for the Israelites here, this is redemption. We serve the God who delivers and who redeems. And here's redemption. How are we redeemed? The people of God have always been redeemed the same way. Through substitutionary atonement. All of us, throughout all of time. We are redeemed by the blood of a lamb. Incidentally, the people of God have always been redeemed by the blood of a lamb, too. I read a commentary. It was helpful to me. I shared with some friends. This commentary put it this way. There was one lamb for one man. And that lamb saved his son. Abraham. There was then one lamb for every house, and that lamb saved the sons of those houses. And then there was a lamb for an entire nation, and that lamb atoned for the sin of the people, 
And now to us, as all of the patterns and types and shadows, as all of them crystallized in the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was a lamb slain from the foundation of the world for the sin of mankind. There is one lamb. Jesus says, John chapter 14, I am the way. I am the truth and I am the life. I am the lamb of God. I am the bread. I am the wine. I am the lamb. All of Moses, all of the prophets, all of the Psalms talk about me. It's always been about me. As we examine the connection between the blood of the lamb in Egypt and the blood of the lamb in our lives, Christ is the Passover lamb. We are the people of Israel. We are Israel on that night, before midnight, needing atonement. Praise God for those in the room who have amen. Here today, through faith in Jesus Christ, knowing the blood of Jesus Christ has washed me clean. I am his. Praise the Lord. Some still perhaps needing it. We have need of atonement. We deserve what Egypt got and what Israel is spared from, and we are spared in the same way. But it's not just the death of firstborn, is it? The wages of sin is death. Spread to all because all have sinned. Through faith in Christ, the blood of Christ is applied to our heart. And when God sees the blood of his son on us, he passes over us. I wrote these words down. We're going to sing the song here in just a few minutes. Rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure. Save from wrath and make me pure. That is the blood of the lamb in our lives, the Passover lamb for the people of God. Are you under the covenant? For the people of Israel, it was circumcision of the flesh. Genesis chapter 17, this will be the sign. So the people of Israel had to go through this. No uncircumcised person shall share in this Passover meal. Listen, we don't have to worry about marks and symbols in our flesh. Through the profession of faith, by our mouth and in our heart, we profess and we believe we are saved and our hearts are circumcised and we are able to approach the meal because we have been brought under the covenant of God through the circumcision of our heart, through our faith in Jesus Christ as the Passover lamb that spares us from the judgment of God. Is the blood spread on the door of your heart? Are you in the one house of Jesus Christ? Are you feasting on the entire lamb that was offered to you? How do I do that, pastor? Repent and believe the gospel. God is holy. You are sinful. You need salvation. Repent of sin. Call on the Lord and be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Though not bound to the ordinance that we see Moses give to the Israelites here in Exodus 12, an ordinance exists for God's people. This is not a ritual. This is is not a pattern of worship. This is an ordinance that is to be observed by God's people for all time. And so I need everyone paying very careful attention to the right of this ordinance. 2,000 years ago, on the night that Jesus Christ was betrayed, the night, of his, the night before his death, The Lord Jesus observed Passover meal with his disciples. Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread and the cup, yes, but before that, as a God-honoring Israelite man, 
he feasted on a lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread in one house with all those that could eat it, fulfilling the law perfectly. On that occasion, the Lord established a new ordinance for his people, the Lord's Supper. No longer would it be the physical sign of circumcision required for those to participate. From then on, it would be the circumcision of the heart through faith in Jesus Christ and through baptism into his name, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Profession of faith and baptism gains a person a seat at this table. No longer would it be the blood on the doorpost and the flesh of roasted lamb and bitter herbs, but it would be a cup of the fruit of the vine and the bread. And as the people of Israel ate the lamb and the bitter herb, they remembered what God had done for them in that lamb with the blood on the doorpost and they would leave Egypt. And as we here today eat a piece of bread and drink a cup of juice, we remember what Jesus Christ did on that cross 2,000 years ago for our salvation. When we share in the Lord's Supper, we are claiming, I want everyone to pay attention, When we share in the Lord's Supper, we are claiming that we are under God's covenant and that we are saved. Do not take this. If you do not know what salvation is, if you do not know that you have faith in Jesus Christ, that you have believed on him for your salvation, that all your filthy rags are taken away by him and not your goodness, if you don't understand that, stay away from this until you do. Please seek out someone in this room. Can you help me understand salvation more? Yes, we can. Because everyone can find a seat at that table. As many as can get in the house around the lamb to feed upon it can get in there. But it's not open to those who can't get into the house, who don't bear the mark of the covenant in their life through profession of faith and baptism into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. When we share in the Lord's Supper, we are claiming to be under God's covenant, to have circumcised hearts, to be a Christian. We are claiming the work of the blood of the Lamb. We are partaking in the flesh and the blood of the Lamb. We are waiting with belts on, with sandals on, with staff in hand, because at any moment, Christ could return, and we must be ready for our exodus from this life. We're not staying here. You can be led by a better Moses and a better exodus to an eternal home. This ordinance for God's people for all time is to be continued until the end of the earth when Christ returns for his people and takes us that we may be forever where he is. Are you prepared for the Lord's Passover? Or will he be entering your house with his judgment? Father, we come before you today. God, I thank you for strength to preach this message. It is so paramount to our faith so pivotal. God, and I feel so inadequate to handle these truths because I am in such need of the body and the blood of the lamb in my life. Father, I pray that as we examine scripture and as we approach this table, as we sing and we pray and we read scripture and we fellowship God, that we will remember the lamb that was sacrificed for our redemption. You redeem You and you alone. Father, I pray we would see the connection of the blood of the lamb in Egypt and the blood of the lamb in our lives. I pray, Father, that today is the day of salvation for someone who is here. Father, I pray that we as a church have a deeper understanding of this meal that we share. Father, the depth and importance 
of remembering Christ, of remembering and considering how great a salvation was achieved for us. It comes freely, but it did not come free. Oh, Christ, we praise you as our only, only Passover lamb. You've always only ever been the Passover lamb, and we praise you, God. Father, we pray that you are honored in our observance of this, your supper. May we remember rightly. May we judge rightly. May we observe our hearts, our minds. May we take fully of the lamb for us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for joining us this week. If you have any questions about anything you just heard or if we can pray for you, please contact us at info at Until next time, stay in God's word.